All right, we're going to get to our guest, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, in a moment. Uh, you've heard her many times on the radio station. We're going to be talking about vaccine hesitancy and the AstraZeneca issue. Nine countries have put a pause on its use, that kind of thing. But I want to tell you something, uh, and I'll get into this more at 9.30 in a, in a bit of a rant I'm going to do. Uh, I get letters constantly, letters, emails constantly from people who, in many cases, give me running commentary on everything I do on the radio station, no matter what time of day I'm filling in for, and all the hosts do. And there's one guy and he's a regular, and here's, here's something that he just wrote. That's wrong. The NDP was not here before us. His forefathers were, but he wasn't. Tired of that line, too. Everyone on the planet were, were not here first. We were bacteria from another planet. You know what? I don't need crap like this, and if you're going to write it, write it to somebody else, not to me. The guy made a valid point. He's a reasonable man. Doug Ford is a reasonable man, but he didn't act reasonable yesterday, and I, I had to get that off my chest. All right, we're going to get into that. Vaccine hesitancy. Vaccine hesitancy as, as distinct from people who are self-described anti-vaxxers. Vaccine hesitancy is what, what um, Salma Makwa was talking about up in the reservations. You know, 20% vaccination rate because 80% of the people are afraid of taking the needle. It's less than that here, but there's still a lot of people who don't want to take it. And uh, vaccine hesitancy uh, is, is a reason to make some intervention and say, you know what, you got to take it. And I remember talking to Joe Cressy yesterday, who, as you know, is a counselor and he's the head of the Board of Health for Toronto. And he said, we're putting ambassadors out there to try to get the rates up because we're never going to achieve herd immunity if more people don't want to take the vaccine. Uh, and so many are, res uh, are, are reticent. And, and I've said on the air, I'm going to take it. And I, I'm going to because I called my doctor and I said uh, a couple of technical questions, but basically, should I? And he said, I am. Yes, you should. And he said, good, you're an ambassador because you have a microphone. So there I've said it. Let me get to Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. She's a family physician and vaccine expert on the line and, uh, and ask her about this. We've got a lot of problems, Iris, with this vaccine hesitancy. And, and we'll get into AstraZeneca in a moment. But I know you believe people should take the vaccines because you've told me before you think they're pretty well miraculous at this early juncture. It's so exciting. But I think vaccine has, hesitancy has a bad wreck. And I'll share, that is deserved in a way. We deserve vaccine hesitancy. Let's why? consider Salma Makwa for just a minute. Why, why, is, why would he be vaccine hesitant? Well, let's, or why would the community be vaccine hesitant, not him? Because they're remote. Experiments with TB. Excuse me? Because they're so remote, I would think. There were experiments with tuberculosis vaccinations in the 1930s in Saskatchewan. There were nutritional experiments performed on children. There was forced sterilization in women. These are all facts. And if we take a look, you know, the income, the education, the housing, the occupation, the neighborhood, the lack of clean water, does that set the stage for trust? I don't think so. And vaccine hesitancy should not be confused with the anti-vaxxer movement. They're generally people who are good people asking good questions. They're asking the same questions that our regulatory health officials ask, the FDA, Health Canada. You know, we want to know what is known and what is not known. And I think that's called informed consent. So that's very important. It's a form of patient engagement. So when I'm asked questions, I welcome those questions because often they're the same questions that I myself is asking. 
Okay, so you've made some very valid points about what happened to uh, our native population uh, in, it's not years, it's decades gone by, but nonetheless it happened, and it's part of the collective memory. So uh, it's a much easier thing to explain vaccine hesitancy to the level it exists, and, and Sal Mamakwa said, look, we got 20% vaccination rates, that means 80% aren't getting it. Um, but that's not the same as what we're experiencing here in the city. It looks like 50, maybe 60% of people are prepared to take the needle in their arm. That's not enough, but it's still large. The question is, can we get it up to 70 or 80? Why are people in the city who are more informed, who have not uh, uh, been kind of victimized in the past with uh, what happened to their, their forebears, uh, why are they hesitant? Why, are, why is there so much hesitancy in urban Canada? I think it's the same phenomenon as what happens when you go into a store and you're faced with six different types of jellies versus 16 different types of jellies. What's happening is that people are seeing, and I'm hearing this from my own patients, they're asking, well, Pfizer and Moderna are 94, 95% effective. Why would I take, why would I take AstraZeneca? There's this question around blood clots. Why, it's 67% effective. Why would I do that? And the answer is we do not have head-to-head data on this. We actually do not know how the various vaccines compare one to the other. People don't realize that. They see numbers and think simplistically. And I'll share. The trials were done in completely different populations, in different seasons, in different countries. And on top of it, there were different variants present when the vaccination trials were done. So you cannot compare an apple to an orange. The best vaccination to take is the one that is available, period. All of them, no exceptions. Once a person has had a dose, they will not die of COVID-19. And I can say that categorically. There are very few statements in medicine a person can make like that. Categorically, once a person has had any one of the vaccinations, their chances of hospitalization go down significantly. The chances of winding up in an ICU the chance of having severe illness goes down. What we're talking about here is largely mild illness differences. And even then, you can't make that argument because we have no head-to-head trials. Okay, so this business of what is being called vaccine shopping, and you know what it is because you're in the medical field. I'm just a, a guy who's on the radio, and I have friends out there, and they talk, and they say, you know a little bit about vaccines. Which one should I ask for? As if you're going to get a choice. And and you've just said what my answer typically is, and I'm not a medical person. You're going to take what they give you, and, and you're going to be happy because to some greater or lesser extent, they're all going to work, and you probably aren't going to die. And I guess from what you've said, I'm right. You're absolutely right. And until we have head-to-head tape data to help guide this decision, we actually do not know. You know, I would have been thrilled to take AstraZeneca. I would have been thrilled to take Johnson & Johnson. I would have been thrilled to take Pfizer and have the first dose. But as far as which one is the best, we actually do not know. That's why having a vaccine registry is so darned important. And we can't get that in place fast enough because we need to overlay that with the data the data on how many cases are happening, where they're happening, and exactly what variant is happening. So that way we can actually understand and compare vaccines. But until that day, we're disempowered. We we really don't know. So the best vaccine to get is the one that's available. 
Okay, so one more question for you, Iris, uh, and and that is vulnerable populations. We've talked about one, obviously, First Nations, but we have vulnerable populations right within the city. And we're talking about people of color. We're talking about newer immigrants who are maybe uh, less conversant with uh, the English language or even the French language, who talk to each other in their own echo chamber and not in the in the greater echo chamber. How do we address them? Because it's pretty clear that uh, those particular populations within the greater population are the ones who seem to be most disadvantaged when it comes to contracting the disease and the ones who are least willing to take the vaccination shot. I think it starts in the same place, that same humble place as with Saul Mamakwa. How do you start? You understand where they're coming from. You know, asking basic questions. What is your understanding of the vaccination? What is your understanding of the disease? What are the things that make you hesitate about getting it? And trying to fill in the best we can, the gaps in the knowledge. You know, so I get it that, you know, the fact of the matter is I have to also own what it is that we don't know. So we don't know if the vaccines are going to reduce transmission for sure, although new data out of Israel is highly suggestive that it may. So that's super exciting. But actually, we don't know that for sure just yet. We also don't know how long the immunity will last. You know, and the fact is we're not vaccinating kids yet, so there are a lot of issues there. It's incomplete knowledge. Nothing is perfect in this. It's imperfectly moving parts. And the best we can do is try to meet them midway. What is your knowledge? What is your understanding? Fill in the gaps in that knowledge and hope that they have an understanding that would allow them to say, yes, I don't want to die from COVID-19. No, I don't want to be hospitalized from COVID-19. It's unnecessary. To me, at this point in our time, anyone who dies from COVID-19 is a needless death. And I know that's, that's, that's evil to say. That's hard to say. It's harsh because we don't have access to vaccinations yet. But the technology is there. How dare us let anyone die of COVID-19 with our current knowledge? It shouldn't be happening. There you go. I want one last question before we just I let have you to go. get our hands on enough vaccines. That's oh, the problem. No kidding. <laughs> Sorry. No kidding. Just let me give you uh, one last uh, question to consider. AstraZeneca is in the news uh, to a greater extent than the others right now because nine countries have put it on a pause because of something to do with blood clotting and potential deaths. But there have been millions and millions of shots that apparently have gone well. Should this thing be uh, withheld in in the countries that are? I'm actually shocked that it was. So what happens? A 60-year-old in Denmark dies of a blood clot. Another one happens in Austria. So you have two cases. So let's take a look at the big real-world data. We have 10 million, million real-world vaccines that have been given. And, and the data has, broken, has been broken down in terms of age, gender, particular batches of the vaccine, and the country of use. And there has been, if anything, it was a lower risk of clots due to reducing COVID-19, which is known to cause clots. So you know what? There's going to be background stuff that happens. And, you know, it's not caused by the vaccine. So if you take a look, 22 cases in 3 million vaccines, and what do we see? The same number of cases in those who had not been vaccinated of blood clots as those who had been vaccinated. So in other words, there is no signal there. There's a lot of kerfuffle. And I think that's a, it's, it's just, maybe it's just covering their 
personal, you know, <clears throat> to try to say, oh, well, we're really looking into this. The European Medicine Agency is looking into this. But frankly, there is no real signal. My feeling is, heck, that AstraZeneca, there's good data say it should be given to all populations. And what do we do? We're giving it to 60 to 64-year-olds. While my 65 to 80-year-olds are asking, when do I get vaccinated? And personally, I, I think it should have started in that population. But you know the NACI guidelines are what they are. So we have to abide by those for now. There we go. Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, always a pleasure to get information from you. Thank you. Many thanks, Peter. All right, take care. That's Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, obviously family physician, vaccine expert, uh, talking to us about uh, AstraZeneca, talking to us about vaccine hesitancy, and also uh, kicking in on the uh, First Nations people uh, issue.